Man, thankful, thankful for our worship team. Thankful for them uh, facilitating us in song in that way. Um, and again, if you don't know me, my name's David. I love being one of the pastors around here. I'll tell you, this has been weird uh, to be doing this online thing for as long as we have. And so if you're anything like me, hey, we will be live streaming the service come September 20th. But, but I am so excited to, to gather with the church family. Um, and we are beginning the next three weeks centered around the vision of Hillcrest. That last week we introduced our vision uh, and mission of what God is doing in our community and where he is taking us. And, and here's what it feels like to me. We aren't changing who we are. We're rephrasing language to help more clearly communicate what we've always been about. It was such a gift to see and interact with these pastors that have been invested in Hillcrest. I hope you take that as a gift that they still interact with Hillcrest, that relationships haven't been burned, that drama hasn't been started. Instead, they're still in ongoing relationship. And so as we chart this course, what we wanna be about, if you're new with us, we hope we're a community of people helping people find life with Jesus one life at a time. That we just feel like we're a bunch of beggars authentically trying to live out this life in humility, in recognition that we're simply trying to help people find life with Jesus. And as we look ahead to the future, we are passionate about inspiring multi-generational communities towards a lifetime of three lifestyles, of three fundamental lifestyles of following Jesus, building community and seeking transformation of our homes, neighborhoods and worlds. And so over the next three weeks, both out on the lawn at 9 a.m. and on these services online, we wanna explore one of those each week. So this morning we are exploring what it looks like to follow Jesus. And so we're gonna look at the Gospel of Luke where Jesus is telling us a little bit about who he is, where Luke is writing about Jesus. And today, this may feel strange. I won't be using any PowerPoints. So open up your Bibles to Luke because we're gonna be jumping into Luke. And I wanna do a little primer on Luke one to four before we enter into Luke five, which is where we're gonna spend time. But Luke spends four chapters and I think building a case for what's about to happen in chapter five. Luke starts this way in chapter one. He writes so that we may have certainty concerning the things that have been taught. Luke's writing to give us confidence and certainty in who Jesus is. And, and in the first three chapters, he, he wrecks us with this idea that Jesus is like no one else. Like this guy, Jesus is like no one else. And he used angelic prophecies. He uses a miraculous birth story. And, and then he tells us about 12-year-old Jesus preaching in the temple. And, and he grills us with this impressive reality that Jesus is like no one else. Then he enters into chapter two and he begins telling us again, birth of Jesus, miraculous birth, 12 year old Jesus teaching in the temple. And then he shifts in chapter three and he says this, God became a man and became one of us. And he does that in two ways. First, he speaks to this incredible baptism in chapter three, Jesus is baptized, the heavens open up and the spirit of God comes in in a dove and God's voice comes down and says, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. 
But then Luke does something really strange in chapter three. He puts in the genealogy. Matthew, Matthew makes a lot of sense. Matthew puts the genealogy at the very beginning of his book. And we just kind of skip over it. Like genealogy, it's so stinking boring. Genealogy, let's move on. Why does Luke put that in chapter three? I think it's fascinating. He does it to show us the connection to man. That he shows his baptism to show that he is of God. And then he tells his genealogy to show his humanity because all through the genealogy we see someone begot someone begot someone and it ends with this. That the son of Enos, the son of Seth, that he's the son of Adam and the son of God. That Luke wants to show us who this God-man is. And immediately following that section, the very next thing, this is deliberate, the very next thing, Jesus is still wet at this point, and he heads into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And he goes from this baptism into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And from the very get-go of Luke's letter, Luke's gospel, He shows us that Jesus does something that nobody else does. And he dominates Satan and overcomes temptation, doing what no other man on this planet has ever done. And Luke continues, where's the very next place Jesus goes after he's tempted? Here's what Luke tells us. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and he went and he preached And Galilee, he goes home. He goes to his home. And you would think, of all the places this guy would be recognized, of all the people who would go, there's something special about this guy. We watched him grow up. He goes home. And how do you think his home people receive him? Do they have a parade? The hero has returned. Instead, they actually try to kill him. Here's what Luke tells us. He's interacting with his people. And they all rose up and drove him out of town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down a cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. That Luke begins building this case. And over and over and over, people are going to miss who Jesus really is and what he's calling them to. So as we jump into Luke 5 today, here's our conviction. Around Hillcrest, we want to be about a lifestyle that is about following Jesus. And so today in the text, we're going to get a glimpse through the miraculous story of Peter and the magnificent catch of fish. We're going to see a little bit of the journey that we all must take in this journey of following Jesus. So pray with me as we dive into Luke 5, 1 to 11 this morning. God, we want more of you. Jesus, we want to follow you. We want to follow you with everything we have. And, and, and we see people missing you all over the place. Even the people that we would anticipate recognizing you most fully miss you. Jesus, may we not miss the real you. And may we get a glimpse through Peter's story today, the journey we all must take in following you. Thank you, Jesus, for your glory we pray. Amen.
Amen. How's it like without PowerPoint? Is this, is this a little intimidating? Is this a little like, oh, David, I wish you'd just turn around to the screen every once in a while. But here's what Luke 5, 1 to 11 says as Luke continues to tell us about who this Jesus guy is. Because he's about to call his disciples. On one occasion, Luke 5, 1 to 11, on one occasion while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, just a fancy word for the lake of Galilee. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little far from land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your words, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him that I want to explore this journey of Peter because I think there's something incredibly true and real and authentic about the journey Peter takes that is a reality for how we enter into following Jesus. Here's where Luke 5 starts. Here's where Luke starts. He said, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God. There's something about the way Jesus teaches. There's something about his words that we long for. And what were those words that Jesus was sharing? I think Peter here in this moment is confronted by Jesus and he hears the gospel. If you turn back to chapter 4, 18 to 19, I think these are the words Jesus was sharing. And this is a quote from Isaiah. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering sight to the blind and set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Peter was confronted by the words of God. What were those words? That Jesus gives sight to the blind. That there's a time in this life where we're blinded. I don't know if you know this, but you look around our culture. <laughs> you look around at Portland. You look up at Kenosha. That there are people blinded by the truth of who Jesus is. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. I think the poor is everyone. Not just poor financially, but poor in spirit. Poor lacking spiritual depth. The spirit, we're spiritually bankrupt. 
Jesus is sharing these words of God. That, that he says this, he says, he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. That again, people are captive to the evil that exists all around us. That Jesus' words are intended to set people free. And then he says this, to, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. It feels like, I don't know if this is true for you, but in Oregon, there's sometimes this life of ease that I can retreat to my home and my comfort and my life of ease. And instead, Jesus says, I'm providing liberty to the oppressed. Those that are oppressed, not just by what might be exterior oppression, though I believe that's true. I think sometimes the oppression of comfort and ease and the apple pie of the world that just inundates us. Jesus comes to bring liberty to the oppressed both those that are disenfranchised as well as those who are finding uh, comfort in their life of ease. He continues, and I think Peter experiences a sense of inadequacy. Here's what he says. But the fishermen had gone out and they were washing their nets, getting into one of the boats. This is verse two, verse three. Jesus tells Simon, put out from land. And after he had finished speaking, he says to Simon, put out your nets in the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now I can just imagine what's going through Peter's mind at this point. And Peter's thinking, Jesus, I get that you're the spiritual guy. We just sat there and we listened to you teach. But I'm kind of the professional fisherman here. I know when the time the fish is. It's not now. It was actually last night. I know what kind of nets to use. These are for night fishing. And yet you're asking us to fish now. And it feels like Peter's confronted with this tension of what's spiritual and what's practical. And it often feels like we, we separate that in life. That, that Jesus, yeah, we get you're the spiritual guy. But, but let me figure out how to handle my marriage. Jesus, I get, I get that you have this teaching for my life, but, but I'm actually the, the one that understands business principles. Jesus, what do you know about modern day geopolitical uh, conversations? And yet, what does Peter do? He says this, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. You can hear Back to chapter 4, verse 38, Simon's mother-in-law was healed by Jesus. So I can imagine Peter's thinking, huh, you healed my mother-in-law, so huh, all right, all right, I guess I'll listen to you. Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, we will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fishes, fish and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they began to fill both boats so much so that the boats began to sink. That Peter encounters this overwhelming, miraculous catch. Somewhere between two weeks and two months worth of resources in this catch. It's overwhelming. And what might be his response? His response could be, Jesus, thank you for doing this. Thank you for, thank you for taking care of us. Your provision is overwhelming. 
But instead, Peter says something different that is fascinating. Peter says this. When he saw, when he saw this, fish flopping around in the boat. I mean, you're sitting in this boat and there's fish flopping all around you. And Peter turns to Jesus. His words aren't one of thankfulness. Here's what he says. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For me, the story isn't primarily about how smart Peter is in choosing Jesus. Instead, it speaks to who Jesus is choosing in his revolution that he's bringing to this planet. This first step in movement towards Jesus is a deep recognition of we don't deserve it. Who does Jesus choose in his revolution and his movement? The first thing we see here Peter do is a sense of inadequacy. That, that it says... He fell on his knees in the midst of flopping fish in a sinking boat overfilled with fish. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. That there's this deep humility and inadequacy that Peter is filled with. And here feels like the tendency that we see in Peter, and it, and it sometimes feels like in us. Our first instinct, when we feel that inadequacy, when we're overwhelmed with our guilt or shame or condemnation, our tendency is to withdraw. Here's what Peter does. Depart from me. He wants to withdraw because he's so filled with this inadequacy. And yet, it's actually in that moment of Peter attempting to withdraw, Jesus steps in. Because what did Peter bring to the table? Was Peter somehow theologically proficient that Jesus said, yeah, that's my guy. I'm going to do a work in your life. Did, did Peter somehow have these accolades that made Jesus recognize, yeah, Peter's the guy I want, a part of my movement. Instead, Peter brought nothing to the table other than an utter sense of his inadequacy before Jesus. He didn't do that when, he, when Jesus healed his mother-in-law, but here, there's a radical sense of who is this guy? And Jesus continues, for he and all who were with him were astonished, but Jesus says this, do not be afraid. Those divine beings, those angelic beings, usually when you're confronted with that level of spirituality, the response is, do not be afraid. And so Jesus actually gives an invitation to himself. And he asks Peter, I want you to join in me with this. Because sometimes it feels like in California, I remember we would have cleaning people come and clean the house sometimes in California. And it was interesting to me to watch people sometimes try to clean up their house before the cleaning lady actually showed up. I mean, I think my tendency would be actually to make the house dirtier so that it would be like, I'm getting my money's worth here. Sometimes it feels like in our life we got to clean up before we come to Jesus. 
that I might still be carrying that abortion that occurred however many years ago. That the divorce is still hanging over my head and, and I just don't feel like I'm good enough before I can come to Jesus. That inadequacy is overwhelming my life and my tendency is to withdraw. But it's actually in that moment where Jesus isn't looking for all the people that have got their lives together. The thing that actually unifies us in following Jesus is this deep sense of inadequacy, understanding we're all broken. And Jesus says this, do not be afraid. From now on, you're going to catch men. That Jesus offers Peter a role in his new revolution. And he says, Peter, come and follow me. And I'm going to give you a new mission and a new purpose for how to live your life. Peter, you used to catch these fish. And when you'd catch those fish, they would die. I'm actually giving you a new mission that you're inviting people into life with me. He says this, from now on, you will be catching men. And for me, this story isn't primarily about how smart Peter is in recognizing Jesus. Instead, it's a deep, deep, deep appreciation for who Jesus is and how we follow him. Because sometimes what it feels like is Jesus is over here. And I'm going to grab a, a podium. How do you feel about that? That it sometimes feels like in this journey, Jesus is over here. And I start walking. And as I walk towards Jesus, I encounter him and I go, cool, Jesus, why don't you join me on the way as I keep going my way? Instead, what this following Jesus looks like is as I'm walking my way, Jesus calls and he says, come and follow me. Leave these things that you've been pursuing and chasing in this life and come and follow me. And I think there's delight that overflows from our lives as we pursue and follow Jesus. Here's how the text ends. Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Now, which of those words tends to get emphasized? Do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. It seems to me that sometimes when we read this text, we emphasize the everything. That we disconnect the spiritual and the practical and we say, oh, I'm leaving everything. but I would encourage us to put a highlight on a different word. That I continue to live and work and play in my daily experience, continuing to go to work where there's deep significance in the way we work. I continue to live in my family where there's deep significance in the way I live with my family. Instead, here's how I hope we read this. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and they followed him. That Jesus brought so much delight to their lives. They were blown away with their inadequacy. And yet Jesus invites them into this journey and mission and passion of following him above anything else this life has to offer. It's him we want. It's him we crave. 
that at Hillcrest, one of our lifestyles, we want to follow Jesus, build community, and seek transformation, but it begins with a real sense of being humbled by how great he is. Jesus, Jesus calls out the people that are constantly peek, peeking at the specks in other people's eyes while there's a log lodged in our own. It's not the spiritually uh, dialed in and the spiritual elite that Jesus calls. Instead, it's those that are often perceived as having nothing to bring, and Jesus says, I want you. So here's my encouragement. Here's my takeaways as we go into this next week of our vision. Man, if this is new to you, if you're watching us for the first time and you're trying to say, man, who is this Jesus guy? My hope is that you put your trust in him for your deepest, most satisfying need that you're longing for. That is Jesus we need. That it's he and he alone that fills this thirst in our lives. That if you've never put your trust in Jesus as the, as the, as the person who sits on the throne of your heart, as the deepest need of your life, my encouragement, uh, we want to talk to you. We want to explore a conversation of what it means to put your faith in this person named Jesus. Second, uh, I think uh, helping us discern between the spiritual and the practical. The question we could ask is, what does a first century Jew know about geopolitical climates? What does a first century do have to do anything with my marriage? What does he have to do with the way I raise my kids? And I think it's an answer we know, but he's got everything to do with that. That Peter's boat was swamped with fish so that Peter would see something about Jesus. What does it look like to pray that Jesus would swamp our boats, <laughs> that we would be overwhelmed with our inadequacy and so that we are drawn to him. Yeah, I, I know how to deal with my kid. I'm frustrated with how I'm dealing with my kid right now. What does Jesus know about this? Pray. Man, I'm frustrated in my marriage. This has been challenging. COVID, David, has wrecked my marriage. What should I do? Pray. And what you could be thinking is, David, what does Jesus usually say when that happens? Often nothing. But every once in a while, he swamps our boat <laughs> with this overwhelming, miraculous sense of who he is. I'm praying for whatever those circumstances are in your life that we want more of him and seeing our life more consumed with him. And then, man, if if you might be feeling a sense of inadequacy that, that you're unusable, that I don't have some of those criteria, that, that I walk in, in this spiritual community and I just don't feel like I have my life together when I walk through those doors, when I walk into this community, my life isn't all figured out. Here's our conviction from the story of Peter that God actually wants you to be a part of his revolution, of sharing our hope in him with anyone we come in contact with. So pray with me as we continue to seek Jesus together. God, you're so good. Thank you for who you are, your work in our lives. We want to follow you, Jesus. We want our lives inundated with you. If we feel unusable, God, reveal yourself that you're calling even us in our brokenness.
to maybe even use as a platform for your glory. God, if I'm wondering where you are and, and I separate the spiritual from the practical things in life, May I pray more fully for you to be revealed in the midst of that. And Jesus, if I've never heard your name, I'm calling out to you now with these words. Jesus, I want to put my faith and trust in you and I want you to sit on the throne of my heart and I want you more than anything else this life has to offer. Thank you, Jesus. It is always for your glory we pray. Amen.